Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the final third podcast. It is Monday. It is our news and predictions episode. We are the final third podcast, the Internet's number one soccer variety show. As always, my name is H. Dubura, one of the co-hosts, a fan of Minnesota United, West Ham United and the U.S. national teams. And I'm joined by a winner unlike Novak Djokovic in the U.S. Open and the Green Bay Packers uh, in this Sunday night football hey, game. And the Minnesota watching. Vikings. Don't, okay. don't, don't okay. leave it out. Don't leave it out. All right. All right. Well, we were, we were, I bring up Novak because I was watching the U.S. Open final, and I bring up the Green Bay Packers because before we start recording, we were watching them get pummeled by the New Orleans Saints. But to be fair, we also were watching uh, – the Vikings lose to a, a not great Bengals team. So I yeah. guess it's sadness all around. <laughs> Jack, what t- teams do you support and how are you feeling? Well, I support Chelsea FC, Minnesota United, the French national teams, the U.S. national teams, and Atalanta, Bergamo, Calcio in oh, Italy. Full name. Yeah, full name there. Uh, mostly because I'm not happy with their result this weekend. Yes. Yeah, but uh, regardless, it, uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, classes are back which are fine. <laughs> they are classes after all, but they're fine. And, you know, club soccer's back. Yeah. So we can get back into that, which is always a good time. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about some club soccer, recap the U.S. men's national team September window a little bit, and get into some off-the-field soccer news. So let's just jump right into it, into our newsroom, where we talk about some big stories happening in the soccer world uh, number one, we're going to talk about some of the score, the big score lines within uh, the five European leagues, some, some games that we think are kind of defining a certain movement for a team, whether it's a, a positive movement or a negative movement, uh, just something that, that really tells us the general trend that a team is going towards. For example, the first uh, game that we're going to talk about, which was uh, Leverkusen versus Borussia Dortmund. Jack, this was quite the thriller of a game. It was three to four in favor of Dortmund. And that would be two goals, one assist for Holland, a goal from Brandt and Guerrero as well. And uh, the goals came from uh, on Leverkusen side, Diaby, Wirtz, and Schick. Jack, right at the bat, crazy game. What are your initial reactions to uh, this seven-goal thriller? Uh, Dortmund's defense needs some fixing. They, they really do. They, they, this is not a sustainable practice. Uh, letting in a ton of goals but scoring more yes it can work out but it's not sustainable in the Bundesliga and you think about it if any of their established you know players go out with an injury they're kind of done for Mm -hmm. and it also doesn't help that their goalkeeper Gregor Kobel isn't that great uh he he only made two saves during uh the game so he let in more goals than he actually saved uh but yeah, it just was not a good enough performance from them. And from Leverkusen as well, it, it wasn't a good defensive performance either. I <laughs> yeah. mean, like, it was just bad defense on both sides. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it, it's just not a good a good sign for either of these teams. Yeah, well, anyone who really follows uh, the Bundesliga knows that Dortmund and Leverkusen games get quite crazy. I'm, I'm looking at the, the past results, and it looks like just uh, last year, February 2020, it was 4-3 to three for Leverkusen. Two to one for Leverkusen in 2021, as well as three to one for Dortmund. So it seems like it's a it's a goal fest every single time around. Uh, the way that I see it, I definitely agree that Dortmund's defense it's it's not sustainable for them to let as many goals in, you know, especially when they're trying to challenge for 
topping their group in the Champions League and maybe pushing Bayern Munich to uh, a Bundesliga title. I, I think uh, for this game in particular, it has more to do with Akanji and uh, Pong uh, Gragicic. Pong Gracic. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, not having too much time playing together as a center back pair. But the bottom line is just in general is that Marco Rosa has to get this defensive organization set because they have the attack to complement it. But you cannot rely on Erling Holland to continuously uh, bail you out. You know, they have a very good attack. We know this. But if their defense can't step up as well, at least a little bit, then all that at- attacking contributions are for naught. And the way that I see it right now, I, I, I in their current defensive uh, state, I don't see Dortmund as a, a top-level contender for the Bundesliga. But before we move on to the next team, can we talk about Wolfsburg, who are on, oh, yeah. still on top of the table? Yeah. Now, that is, that is exactly the type of defensive of, uh, shape that, not shape, but like solitude, fortitude, that's the word, yep. that Dortmund need. Because Wolfsburg, I believe, have still only conceded one goal. Just one goal and three clean sheets so it, far. Yeah, that's very good. And obviously, that's not exactly Dortmund's DNA nor their like, main priority. But it goes to show you that, especially in this like early parts of the season, defense does win championships. And if Dortmund can't follow the likes of Bayern or Wolfsburg, where they can try to keep those goals allowed down, I don't think that they're going to go on. I do have to note, though, for Wolfsburg that the th- their three clean sheets came against, uh, well, Leipzig. That one was semi-impressive. But yeah. uh, VFL Bochum, which yeah, yeah. 13th. Uh, they they won against Hertha Berlin, sixteenth, yeah, yeah. um, and they won against Greuther Firth, who are in eighteenth. So um, maybe they haven't faced the strongest challenge as of yet, but it is still impressive nonetheless that yeah. they've had good defensive shape. But uh, I, I'd also be wary of calling them a massive threat for a title or yeah. anything well, like that. I, yeah, I, I'm not saying that necessarily, but I'm I'm using it to compare it to Dortmund, who have conceded to. Hoffenheim, two goals. Freiburg, uh, they lost to them by two goals. Uh, Frankfurt, even though they won 5-2 against them, they still conceded two goals. Like, like for a team that wants to compete for the Bundesliga, you know, two goals per game is just not a great look, and it's been increasing, obviously, with this three-goal uh, concession that they've had. So, overall, that is the main concern with them. Uh, congrats to Wolfsburg and Bayern, who, unlike Dortmund, have really finished the job uh, this time around. Let's go on to another defensively insecure team. Let's move to League A, where the current title uh, champions lost to Lorient 2-1, to one, thanks to goals from uh, Loriente. That, that is crazy. I'm pretty sure I mis- mispronounced probably both of those. And, Loriente? Yeah, Loriente. and, and Mofi. Uh, Lille's score was Ilmaz off of a penalty. Now Lille are in 12th. They conceded 11, and the, the, the single X factor I can really point to, that I've been pointing to for the past couple of weeks, is losing Galtier. I think that was a huge loss for them. I, I think that single-handedly was the move that sunk them. He's at Nice right now, I believe. He, right. he, he moved mm-hmm. on. Uh, you know, losing the, their starting goalkeeper was also you know, very tough, but the def- defensive disorganization that is, like, very prominent under their new head coach, uh, uh, Gore, Gorvenik. Sure. It, it just doesn't really 
bode well for them in the long term, especially when you know their offense wasn't so impressive last time around, and their defense was. Without that, you know they're obviously sinking right now. I think they're going to get eaten up in the Champions League. Jack, what are your takeaways from Liga and specifically Lille? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a fall from grace, like a, a, a large fall from grace. Uh, their goalkeeper that they brought in, Ivo Gerbic, hasn't been terrible. He made five saves in this game against Lorient, so he was keeping them in the game for the most part. It was a bunch of defensive errors that that uh, cost them, and, you know, their, their forwards just aren't clinical enough. Yilmaz... He's pretty old. Uh, he's not. He's True. he's not uh, getting any younger. Uh, Jonathan David still not a, an absolutely clinical number nine, uh, and you know they they just don't have the pieces to have such a bad defense where they can where they can be like, oh, it's fine that we concede mm-hmm. a bunch because we have reliable goal scorers up top because they don't, uh, and. It's kind of weird, too, because they didn't, like, lose many defensive players besides yeah, Mignon. Right. But maybe it's just that he was just so key to organizing that defense that without him, it's just falling apart. Uh, I, I think it shows uh, how much of an influence a goalkeeper can have on a team. Uh, I, I saw it with Chelsea last season. Replacing Kepa with Mendy turned the defense into almost invincible. I mean, also too cool, <laughs> but uh, still... Uh, you know, having uh, a good goalkeeper can do great things for defense. And that's clearly what's happened here. So uh, I, I think that there's a lot of problems that Leo need to fix up. Maybe it's time to try a three at the back formation. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, they, they need to fix something, though, because uh, I don't think they want to follow up a season that was so great with the one they're on right now. Yeah. I think the thing that they need to fix is their manager. I, I, I think if this goes on, I, I think they get a new manager come Christmas time because th- this is, this is ex- yeah, exactly not what you want to see. And I feel like maybe not top four, but it's a good mid table finish, maybe in the European spots is still possible for this team. If it wasn't for, the manager and i feel like a lot of leo fans would agree with me that their their current manager is leagues leagues below the previous one yeah uh jocelyn gorvinek uh he he's not the same as christoph galtier he he first of all he hadn't had a job before leo since coaching guignon uh from 2018 to may 2019 so he was only there for six months before uh leaving there and then Bordeaux before that, and Guignamp again before that for six years. So he he doesn't really have that experience at the very, very, very top level. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's one of the main issues there. I, I think that they could go out and probably get a better coach. Yeah, for sure. And there are some available. Uh, maybe not, like, I don't think they're going to get, like, Antonio Conte or something, but they, <laughs> I bet they could get a nice, like, mid-level B-tier coach that would do wonders yeah, for them. They could. Let's go on to the Premier League now. It's United versus United, Manchester United versus Newcastle United. We're going to talk, uh, we, well, we did talk about this last week in our predictions, and it turned out to be one of the uh, more interesting games this past weekend in the Premier League because it was Ronaldo's debut, and he just so happened to score, not once, but twice. Manchester United won 4-1. to one. It was a brace from Ronaldo, an amazing goal from Fernandez, and a last-minute goal from Jesse Lingard. So, Jack, 
what you know obviously what are your thoughts about uh this game obviously manchester united are in good form they are i think one of the title contenders along with chelsea city liverpool uh so what are your thoughts about this game and more specifically do you think that manchester united given what they've done so far do you think they are for real do you think that they are a bona fide title contender not just like they're in there but will be right there towards the end like fighting for that premier league uh trophy well obviously ronaldo is a huge plus for them as a player uh and he showed it on his debut he scored two goals very good Fernandez shows he's still a useful player, even mm-hmm. even though Ronaldo might be taking penalties and free kicks. Yeah, he's still scored. Uh, Lingard even showed he can play a role in this team. Uh, I think the biggest thing that sticks out to me, though, is that this isn't a clean sheet, and it probably should have been. But the way the goal that they conceded was scored uh, just shows so much about this team and what's still lacking. Because this was a complete counterattack goal. Alan St. Maximin ran through the center of the midfield, very little pressure on him, and passed it over to Manquillo, who's, who's the right wing back, by the way, who just, who just fires it into the goal. It, and it shows that without like a holding mid, United are still very vulnerable mm-hmm. on a counterattack to any team. Uh, they, we've, see, we've seen them give up goals like this, not just in Newcastle, but against Southampton as well. So Against Leeds as well. Against Leeds, right? Like... They they have they have scored a lot of goals, but they've only kept one clean sheet in this time, mm-hmm. which is not all that impressive. You know, it's against Wolves, who are not exactly the strongest offensively. Exactly. So like this this isn't like great news for them. I think they can still be a title contender. Yeah, they, I mean they're top of the league right now. They have they have a good front line. They have a good defense. They've got a good goalkeeper. Their midfield, though, just lacks a lot. Uh, and by that, I mean it lacks any structure to stop counterattacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Pogba plays deeper in, right? But he's not a holding midfielder. Mm-hmm. He, he gets forward and attacks, and that's shown in his assist numbers because he's done incredible this season. Seven assists in four games. It's very good by him, but just the rest of the team, uh, it, or the rest of the midfield is kind of letting him, him down. And by that, I mean... Pogba and Bruno are carrying the midfield, and that one hole in holding mid just hurts them way too much. Uh, for for me to say like, yes, they are one of the strongest title contenders. Mm-hmm. Who who is your like strongest contenders? I'm guessing Chelsea. Chelsea is who up else there. up other uh, than them? Chelsea and City so far are in the same league of like those big contenders okay. right now. Uh, United are close, but until I can see them like being able to snuff out like these counterattacks. I, I I I can't say like they're at the same tier or same level. I yes, guess. That, that that's definitely fair because you're right. They haven't even like gone against truly truly elite teams, yeah. right? So until we we see them go against like Liverpool or City or Chelsea and do well, like yes, they can concede like a counterattack goal, but that also means that they have to be dominant offensively and at least like keep a the the their defense in check and get like those stops i think that's that would be really important they are like one of the better teams offensively here yeah it's just defensively like there are some issues there and i'm I'm looking right now expected goals conceded they are 12th which means that uh they have the eighth worst uh xg conceded and that's not going against elite teams 
when you are supposed to be an elite team. They've right. con- they've uh, expected to concede 4.2 goals. You know, that's not necessarily great when you're looking at uh, the grand scheme of things, right? Uh, that That's very mid-table. And I think I actually read it wrong. I think that they're the eighth best, still mid-table, you know, still in that, that general zone. There's there's a lot to be uh, left with, but I, I, I still think, I, I think I'm going to disagree with you. I think that they're going to be up there just because okay. I think their raw talent in attack and their raw talent in the back line really makes up for it. And, I, and I, until I see otherwise, I'm going to believe that. If they get destroyed by City or I don't know who they're playing uh, next, that's like really, really big. Uh, Liverpool is the, is the next big game, and that's on October 24th. Okay. So it's a while. Well, away. I'm very offended you didn't say West Ham United, first of all. But yes, sure, whatever. Uh, I, I guess we could point to them. You can also point to towards Leicester City or Villarreal in the Champions League. That's going to be some big test for this new look uh, Manchester United team. Uh, speaking of new look, let's go to an old look, which is Juventus being bad. Kind of a holdover <laughs> from last season. Uh, Napoli and Juve faced off, and it turned out to be a 2-1 to win for Napoli, Juventus kind of uh, not looking great as they flounder in 16th place, still do not have a victory in Serie A. Jack is smiling right now. And it goes to show you that uh, right now, the current like contenders, and that can always change, in Serie A are Roma, Milan, Napoli, who we're going to talk about, and Inter, Milan. Jack, I know you hate Juventus. When we were when we were eating lunch, uh, watching the Chelsea game, you mentioned you were so happy that Juve were losing. What are your thoughts about these two like supposed title contenders facing off and one of them floundering? Well, I think it's really funny. Uh, first oh, okay. of all, yeah, I, yeah. I really like it. Uh, I actually have a Napoli jersey as well, and I was Which I was player. Uh, it's it's just a generic okay. one. I'd, Which I, player would you get? Mertens, obviously. Okay. Yeah, Mer- Mertens is one of my favorite players of of like all time. So, uh, but regardless, uh, Napoli have been a pretty good team. I mean, they they're in third place and have not lost a game yet. Uh, that that's pretty good. So, and to do it while beating you know Juventus along the way is pretty good. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm. I'm I'm trying to think about what the the best thing to say about this is, but I guess it's Ronaldo leaving has left such a such as a mark on this team because they don't have the players that are able to step up and cover for him. They Morata, yes, he scored, but uh, he's not he's not going to be like the the kind that comes on, scores a ton of goals, and uh, is able to help out with the defensive work too. Locatelli, we 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 thought when he was signed on loan for Juventus that he would be the answer. He's not. He he hasn't been the answer as of yet. And uh, the defense, I mean, you can say that their defense for this game wasn't the best. They were missing their two best uh, best uh, uh, fullbacks. So you can give them a little bit of of slack, I guess, in some places. But at the same time, this is Juventus, and they should be winning things because this is mostly their their best eleven for the most part. And Napoli, they they were they just took advantage of their opportunities really well, and uh, they they uh, they scored a very late goal. But you also can't say that this was undeserved because they mm. completely dominated Juventus. Yeah, sixty seven percent possession, two point four eight expected goals, twenty five shots to ten. Uh, like that, that's that that's incredible for them. And uh, I I really like the look of Serie A this year because mm-hmm. uh, with the games today. 
Roma are actually top of the table. Yeah. Tammy it, Abraham uh, leading the line there. Yeah, it, it was a, a last-minute Charlie Yeah, Stefan Sh- uh, Al Charaway, yeah. Yeah. Last last minute for, for him. Uh, AC Milan are up there. Mm-hmm. Inter are up there. Uh, and Napoli. And, it, and I really like this because with the omission of Juventus, these are like four of the biggest historical sides in Italy. Uh, there are probably some that I'm forgetting about in, in there, but these four make up a pretty big portion mm-hmm. of Italian soccer. So uh, especially Napoli uh, doing so well in this. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I think it, it's great for Serie A and I'm looking forward to, to some more entertainment. Yeah, I really like what Mourinho and Spalletti are doing at Roma and Napoli, respectively. I think that, you know, the, the styles of play that they're uh, going with right now, at least in this early parts of the season, are working very well. Uh, both of them are uh, some of the best teams, both on the offense and on the defense. And to see that from two teams that uh, were, were, were not in Champions League contention last year and to see them you know, currently being first and third respectively is really cool. I I don't think that's going to continue because I think that some teams are going to catch up to them, particularly Milan and Inter, very strong teams. But in this early stages, it's really cool, like you said, to see some diversity in those teams in the top four. Juve, unfortunately, I I, I do put a lot of blame on McKenney. I do not. I think he had, frankly, yeah. a terrible game. I would not be surprised if he gets uh, benched for another one of Juve's uh kind of bad midfielders but uh, hopefully he gets better and hopefully or unhopefully i don't know depending on how you look at uve can improve as well let's move on from our score lines because i think we covered most of the 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 four leagues that had interesting uh games this past weekend let's go on to some off the field news jack this is something that i think is very interesting as someone who likes to think about you know, off the field soccer, like how leagues and things are structured. That, that's kind of like my forte. And that's the World Cup being proposed to happen every two years. As you know, happens every four years. Last time it happened was 2018. Next time is 2022 in Qatar. But FIFA is currently proposing and investigating the merits of a biennial World Cup, a World Cup every two years. And there seems to be two main reasons why you'd be uh, for a a, a two-year World Cup. The reason why FIFA says they want it and the reason we know why they want it. (laughs) Uh, The first reason is because, you know, according to them, you want more emotional, meaningful games. Arsene Wenger is for this move because, according to him, quote, Society is demanding more and more high stakes and emotional matches. Even Euro 2020, which took place two months ago, seems far away. Interesting words, Arsene Wenger. This is the guy that also thinks that we should do kick-ins instead of throw-ins, mind you. Um, Not that it's terrible. It certainly is better than this proposal. Uh, The second reason is because of money, and we all know it's because of money. FIFA gets an overwhelming amount of their revenue from the World Cup and the TV deals, sponsorship, and other related revenue streams associated with it. More World Cups means objectively more money. Currently, the people and groups of people for the two-year World Cup, so you know people who support it, include FIFA, Arsene Wenger, Bangladesh, the Maldives, uh, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Morocco, and potentially more Asian and African countries because it increases the chance of them being able to host a World Cup when that is currently not exactly the case uh, now. Currently, the people and groups of people against the two-year World Cup are UEFA, 
the European uh, football associations, Columbia Bowl and their football associations, and countless players, coaches, and fans. Jack, right off the rip, are you for or against the two-year World Cup? I have a feeling that you're against it, but I don't know. Maybe you're just like, I just want to see it every... I want to turn on TV and just watch the final. Like, let's have the World Cup all the time. Like, what what do you feel about it? Uh, I'm against it. Okay, Uh, I could have guessed. there's There's a few reasons why. It's not just the money that's the issue for me. It's uh, also that they're able to extract so much wealth and political capital from uh, most likely a lot of third world countries. Yeah, the fact that Nepal and Bangladesh and those likes of countries are supporting it does, you know, lend well to that uh, theory. Yeah, I mean, they did it with South Africa. They got a ton of concessions from uh, other organizations to do things Uh, like we've seen this with so many World Cups that they're able to extract political concessions from tons of different places to get votes for them to host the World Cup. They were able to extract, uh, like, the French government basically was able to get trade deals with Qatar in 2011 in exchange for voting for the World Cup. Like, that, that, that's messed up, really. And, uh, you know, there, there's so many other reasons why. We just got out of a pandemic and a condensed season where we were like, mm-hmm, yeah. these players are playing way too much. It's a bit of a problem. And all of a sudden, they're like, actually, you know what we need? We need more games. Because mm-hmm. if they do uh, a World Cup every two years, do you know what that means as well? It means more and more qualifiers. That means another 10 more international games every two years. And, like, you you could say, okay, well, we could just get rid of friendlies. But at the same time, like, it, at, at, at best, it doesn't change the amount of games. At worst, it adds a lot more and more players get injured. And, you know, it makes for less exciting matches for throughout the entire year because you get stars that are injured and uh you know it it's not a good idea i think just at any fundamental level of it like it it doesn't make any sense really except if you want money yeah and that's what they want because they can't get they can't get a ton of money from like uefa for the euros they can't get a ton from Conmebol for uh, for uh, the copa america they can't get a ton from uh concacaf for like the gold cup so they want to try and, you know, basically compete with those competitions. And also, what happens to all those historic trophies then? Like the Euros and the Gold Cup and Con- and uh, and the Copa America. And AFCON and yeah, the AFC Cup right. and all these. Exactly. What happens to all of those competitions that have history? Because teams aren't going to, are, are they going to do like kind of what the U.S. did during the Gold Cup and just feel like a way weaker team for their domestic competition. That sucks. And yeah, it, it does. Like, I mean, you you get... Then it, it makes those competitions seem less important. And it just seems like FIFA wanting to try and consolidate power so they can control, you know, what's the most important narrative in the world of soccer and what, and what matters. And this whole thing with Arsene Wenger saying, oh, people want more exciting games that have meaning. Or is he saying that the games in the Euros didn't have any meaning? Like, sure, there were some games that maybe not many people would have cared that much about. Like, I'm sure not a ton of people cared about Poland versus Slovakia, maybe. Like, sure. But, really, you're saying that matches like France versus Switzerland, uh, Italy versus England, you know, uh, Spain versus Italy, England versus Denmark, Denmark versus versus, uh, Russia— even with like all of these games, are you saying those aren't exciting? Because that that just seems ignorant, really, to me. Uh, and that's just talking about the Euros. Like you could go on and on with like 
uh, Conmebol in the Copa America, like uh, Colombia against it was shoot, who did they face off in the in the semi or the third place match? Uh, because uh, all I remember from it is Luis Muriel coming on and assisting the last minute mm-hmm. winning goal in that game. So I mean, there, there's there's these big moments all over, and to say that we need another World Cup every two years uh, for there to be more of them is just ignorant. Let's break that down a little bit because there are you know you brought up a, a lot of different oh, points. Yeah, I know. <laughs> all, all, all all very great uh, with with health, right? The reason why the summer is so important is it, it gives people who aren't playing in an international tournament or even people who are playing an international tournament a break, at least a little bit. Uh, when you play a World Cup every two years, that cuts it down. Because right now, as it stands, most players, even like top-level players, play two tournaments within a four-year period. You play the, your local confederation and then the World Cup, Maybe the Nations League as well. Yeah, maybe the Nations League, but that's also like a two-game window. Uh, If you're CONCACAF or CONMEBOL and you just happen to have a million different tournaments, some players sit out uh, some different ones. So it's like fine. And you got two summers of like complete rest. That's great. Now, where is that rest coming from? And we have like players being pushed to the the, the brinks physically and mentally. You know, and we've seen that happen through the pandemic. Bruno Fernandez. Youngmin's son playing a million and a half different games, get, getting yeah, getting injured, getting tired, getting fatigued, and that hurts the quality of the game. And w- like you said, where where do the Euros go? And uh, and to expand on that a little bit, logistically, how would you, how would we even do this if World Cup qual- Jack World Cup qualifying is already so drawn out. Uh-huh. We've talked about this. We, we, we've had discussions about like the World Cup qualifying process. It's mind blowing how many rounds some confederations have, how many like raw games teams play. It takes up sometimes more than a calendar year. So are we just gonna have like a forever World Cup where you're either playing World Cup qualifying games or you're actually in the World Cup? Mm-hmm. That's that, that sounds like that sounds like a punishment to watch. Right. <laughs> It, like logistically, how are we gonna combine World Cup qualifying, but also at the same time have the Euros and Conmebol's uh, Copa America and Concacaf's Gold Cup? There's like so many different international games. Suddenly, FIFA is just like, let's just have only international games because there's just there's just too many going on. And of course, it doesn't actually make games more meaningful because if you water it down and you you have too many of these like games then the, the actual like pressure and meaning goes away because you're like oh well there's gonna be another world cup two years from now like who cares they, they'll get them next time it dilutes the importance of the trophy exactly and what's crazy about this is i don't think it's the easy way out i actually don't think that it does more good like more good than harm for fifa's perspective because why don't they just uh you know, fund the Confederations Cup again or the Club World Cup. If they want to get more meaningful games, why don't they give more funding to these smaller countries so they can get more competitive? This is on the easy road on paper, but in practice, as we talk about logistically and uh, with it diluting the, the, the fun game pool, it, it's, not, it's the harder road in practice. And that's why it's stupid. And that's why FIFA, if you're listening, Infantino, uh, Arsene Wenger, don't do this. <laughs> And I, I think the nail in the coffin, I'll end it off here, 
is the fact that I think Alexi Lawless is for it. And Ugh. if Alexi Lawless is agreeing with you, you are You're doing wrong. something wrong. <laughs> Jack, let's quickly talk about the Europa League and the Conference League title contenders. Obviously, Europa League and Europa Conference League are kicking off very soon. Jack, let's start with the Europa League. Who from the group of uh, 32 teams in this pool do you think are most likely to win the Europa League? So, so not we're not taking into account like people who are like third uh, place teams moving down. None of that. Just based on the current groups in these competitions, who is more most likely to win these leagues? Yeah, well, I have three main choices, I think. Uh, first, uh, I have uh, Marseille, who have been really strong at the start of the league on season. They've shown that they have really tried to adapt and change and do a lot better. And, uh, you know, their group is a bit tough, but I think they can get through that. Uh, next, I have Napoli uh, as, one of, as one of them. Very strong in Serie A. Very, very good team. Uh, some good depth in there. And their group, they should make it out of it, you know. And I, I think if they, as long as they do that, they should have a pretty long run through this competition. And finally, you're going to like this one, West Ham. I actually, I, I do think that West Ham have a chance to make a run for this competition. It depends on how much they focus on domestic cups, of course. Like, if West Ham decides, like, yeah, we're going to focus all of our energy on the Europa League, they're obviously going to be a contender. But if not, it drops down a little bit. But I think that they're probably the strongest team uh, from England, at least, that are in this competition. All right. They're better than Leicester this season, well, for Why sure. do you say that? Because Leicester's defense is weak right okay. now. And it, That's I, true. Sure. I think it's, it's, there's even a possibility they don't make it out of their group. Uh, in there's there is a distinct possibility that that happens for listeners their group is leo warsaw from poland uh lesser of course napoli and spartak moscow i think they could miss out to spartak moscow i think they could it's mm -hmm. very it's unlikely potentially yes but their defensive issues are bad right now and they they seem to be not be able to take control of games so i i wonder if like you know i think napoli could win both of their games against lester and then it's up to Spartak and, and to see if, uh, if they can make a, a splash in this. But also, Leicester's injury problems are just piling up like throughout yeah. this entire season. And it just doesn't look good for them. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, there's a few other uh, yeah, well, teams that are kind of on the periphery. I, I was going to ask, like, I, I agree with, uh, you'd say, Napoli, Marseille, and West Ham. Yep. I believe in Leicester City a fair amount. Also believe in Lazio, so, so I, I, I'm wondering what separates in your mind some of these Europa League teams, these higher tier Europa League teams, to the likes of, let's say, the German teams, Bayer Leverkusen, Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, some more of the French teams like Lyon, Monaco, Lazio, Real Betis, Celtic, uh, Real Sociedad. Why aren't they contenders in your mind? Because I, I, I don't really know, so I'm just, I'm just like wondering what you think about it. Yeah, well, I think the teams that I that I highlighted there have improved a lot over this past summer, whereas a lot of those other teams that you highlighted have gotten kind of worse. Like, really? for example, Leon has gotten a lot worse without Memphis Depay, right? Uh, Monaco, they they could do something, but they they have a choke factor to them, and uh, they mm -hmm. they tend to do that a lot. 
uh, as someone who's watched quite a few of the games. Frankfurt, they have a they have an issue with uh, Philip Kostic right now, and uh, and also no more Andre Silva. That really hurts them as well. And uh, you know, you, Bayer Leverkusen, we already uh, highlighted their defensive issues. Exactly. Uh, that that's that's what I was about to say for that. And you know, Celtic, I I, I just don't think that they're in the same position as they were last yeah, year. And they also true. lost Odson Edward, which uh-huh. is huge. Uh, and I think that will hurt them quite a bit. And Lazio. I don't know. I just don't. I just don't like Lazio. Well, I, I believe in Lazio because I, yeah. I think I think with with their new head coach, with the, with the new way that uh, sorry, the new form. Yeah, is he new? I don't think he's new. He yeah he he, okay. he just started this All season. Right. But yeah, I, they they've started okay this season. But uh, you know, I just don't like supporting Lazio and yeah. anything or believing them in them for anything. But. Uh, they also did not perform very well against AC Milan this past weekend. That's true. Which, like, uh, yes, it's AC Milan, but th- this was like their entire starting eleven. Yeah. I th- I think a large part of it is also their their current regular season like league standings mm-hmm. and like how likely they are to f- split focus between the two competitions. That's why I am not too high on West Ham and Leicester necessarily because I think that they are the Premier League is uniquely situated where you need to like focus on it in order to like get more money get like qualify for Europe even more meanwhile I think Marseille I think could split uh more time evenly on focusing on the Champions League same with the likes of Bayer Leverkusen or Lazio or Napoli where they're probably going to be up there, and I think they're going to be okay settling for the Europa League spots if it means contending for a title. I don't know. Uh, Jack, Europa Conference League, who is taking that? I, I feel like there's two to three, four big options. Who are you but, picking? Yeah, there's like there's like four options that I could see easily being like semifinalists. So you've got Roma, obviously, uh, Union Berlin, you've got Ren and Tottenham. That Those are like the four that I could see. Mm-hmm being like big players in this uh, in this Europa League race because if you look at a lot of these uh, the, you you wouldn't believe that half of these are yeah. teams oh, come on. I'm sorry that's oh, that's that's a bit on. that's a bit rude but like so some of them like they're they're just not the biggest teams yeah. uh, like in Europe and I think that's going to hurt them a little bit but you know we we've seen like some of these big teams be vulnerable uh, uh mm-hmm. in in the qualifiers for the conference league but at the same time like you know there, there's a pretty clear gulf in a lot of these groups. Right. Uh, I will say though, Tottenham probably got the toughest group that they could have gotten from this. Yeah, uh, with, the tests aren't bad. Ren are are, are pretty good. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, th- <laughs> I'm thinking about about, about other uh, contenders. Uh, I'll look towards FC Copenhagen. Probably, I, I wrote pretty down Feyenoord as actually one of my top four. Ren, they lose, they lost Kemavinga. He was a pretty oh, big yeah, player sure. for them. Uh. Uh, AZ Alkmaar, uh, who play in Eredivisie, also pretty good. Uh, I, I guess I'm pretty leaning towards uh, the Netherlands right now. <laughs> Overall, I, I think I think that I like the conference league because it makes more meaningful games for these smaller countries. Right. I yeah. do, however, think that for this season and seasons in the future, the winner is going to come from the third place team in the Europa League, and yeah, it, yeah. it's likely going to be a, a B tier league. Uh, like a Belgium uh, getting in here and like maybe winning, or maybe we do see Tottenham and Roma being the finalists and, and they're <laughs> the, they're the best ones. I don't know. This conference is like it's so experimental. It's so interesting to see how it turns out. Uh, 
Jack, from Roma and Tottenham, because I'm guessing those are your like top two. You also include of uh, uh, Union Berlin and Ren. Who is like your pick to be the per like the D team to win the first ever Conference League title? Uh, mm, uh, I'm I'm gonna go with Roma on that okay. one. I, I'm a fan of Roma a little bit. I, I have a soft spot for him. And also, I think that they have pretty good squad depth in like every area of the pitch. Tottenham still don't have really a solid backup striker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there, there's there's a few questions over Tottenham still. And Roma have looked very good in the league this season. And like you said, the Premier League, there, there's a lot more competition for places in the Premier League than there is in Serie A, for example, yeah. I feel like. So I feel like that's going to benefit Roma a little bit. I'm sure Mourinho would love to win it. Oh, again. yeah. It, yeah. It, it would make such a great final, to, just the narrative of mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to some real quick news. We got two news items for you. The first is Messi becomes top-scoring Colombo player of all time with his hat-trick against Bolivia. Lionel Messi overtakes Pele as the highest goal scorer in Colombo history with now with 79 goals. And actually... I'm getting some news here. Pele actually found some 40 goals from his back pocket that, that he's uh, he's redeeming now. So it wow. turns out Pele, unfortunately, is, is back up. And actually, I'm getting some more news. It's actually 1,000 goals. Ugh. So Messi, good luck catching up to Pele. That's yeah, why he's the goat. Yeah, all those all those Sunday league goals in Brazil really really <laughs> yeah. helped him out there. All those goals in FIFA, he's counting too. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what it is. All of his club, all of his pro club goals. Yep. Yeah. Well, congrats, Messi legend greatest of all time yeah jack take us to some more somber news yeah um well this morning liverpool faced off against leeds mm-hmm. and in the 60th minute or 59th minute more accurately uh pascal strike made a very bad challenge i'm not actually i, I was thinking about how intentional to, not intentional what do you think it looked pretty intentional to me <laughs> uh he he dove in for the ball and he snapped Harvey Elliott's leg, it looked like, or he broke it regardless. It was not a good injury. He had to be stretchered off. Yeah. He couldn't walk off the field. And he's just 18? He's just Yeah, he, he's very young. And it, it feels really sad because, like, he has started to establish himself as, like, a really important player for Liverpool. And, yeah, he, he's 18. And it, it, it's just sad because he, he's been one of their best performers, I think, this season. And to see him go off like that uh, is just awful. And Pascal Strike obviously got a straight red card for that. Uh, I think it should have been a straight red card. That was a no ter- question. No terrible question. challenge. Uh, people were saying, I don't think it's a straight red card. No, yeah. you're wrong. You're just wrong. <laughs> if you break, I think, I think there honestly should be a rule. Like if you break a, a, another limb on, of the player, I think it's a straight red card. <laughs> I, I think... I think if you cause like that level of damage to someone, that that's a red. Yeah, or at the very least, there's cor- there's definitely correlation with if you break someone's limb, usually there's a pretty bad challenge related to exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. Klopp did say that it was serious. It was an ankle injury. He was very sad to see uh, one of his players go down in that way. So, uh, Elliot, hoping the best for you, hoping you can come back sooner rather than later. All right, Jack. That is it for uh, all of our news. Let's go into some lower league lowdown. It's back. We're talking about uh, the English uh, Football League. And I'll talk about some U.S. men's national team. How does that sound? Yeah, well, let's get into it. Starting with, I'm going to focus on the championship because it's back. I watched a little bit of it this weekend. And there were some, eh, you know, some big stories that that popped up here and there. You know, uh, first of all, is a lot of people were predicting Fulham to go unbeaten in the championship. And... uh, 
people who watch the championship know how ridiculous of a sentiment it is to predict any team to go unbeaten, but they actually lost this past weekend to newly promoted side Blackpool, which was a pretty a pretty big loss for them. Uh, you know, it, it was it was not a good performance by them. Tim Ream, their captain, on Twitter admitted, yeah, we, we need to do way better. This mm-hmm. was a, a garbage performance, basically. Uh, Blackpool currently sit 19th in the table. This was their first win of the season and Fulham's first loss. Definitely not great for Fulham as they aim to get promoted right back up to the Premier League, but they have a solid goal differential with nine right now. So I, I back them to still do pretty well in this league. That being said... With Fulham losing, there's a new team at the top of the championship Who table. Who is it, Jack? West Brom oh. are at the top of the table, which terrifies me as a Chelsea fan because we seem to never be able to beat them. But uh, they did get a point against serial drawers Millwall, uh, who have drawn far too many games for their own liking this uh, this season. They have drawn three games so far out of six. So they're kind of draw specialists, but West Brom do go top of the table so far. They're another strong side that is definitely going to be challenging for that automatic promotion spot. And we've, we've already gone over two of the sides that got relegated from the Premier League last season. So let's go over to Sheffield United, who before this weekend were looking to be in a very bad place. They were in 23rd with two points. Uh, they definitely made up for it this past game in which they won Six to two over Peterborough United. Uh, Peterborough may not be the best side in the league, but Sheffield desperately needed a win here, and they definitely got it. Uh, it was a really all-around good performance with uh, with goals from uh, Nadaye. I've mispronounced that. He had a brace. Fleck had a goal. Osborne had two goals, and Morgan Gibbs White taking a goal as well. Uh, Clark Harris, Jake Clark Harris. He he was very good in the in uh, League One last season, and scored, he scored a goal as well for Peterborough. So uh, very good stuff for Sheffield United. They're going to be hoping to try and get back up the table to challenge for that promotion again. But let's go on to some other promotion candidates that they might be competing for. Maybe some surprising ones in here. You know, you have Bournemouth, who have been doing pretty well, 12 points, three wins, mm-hmm. three draws, still undefeated in the championship. That's a That's a big accomplishment. QPR, same record, same goal difference as well. Oh, wow. Uh, they they are three wins and three draws. Uh, 12 points for each of them, sitting fourth and fifth, respectively, in there. And surprisingly enough, this is not a team that I thought was going to do very well. Stoke City, uh, they, they got relegated a few seasons ago, but they're actually doing pretty well, despite a pretty embarrassing 3-0 loss to Fulham. That's their only loss this season so far. They have a draw, and they have four wins besides that. And they continued their good form by winning against Huddersfield Town, which, again, not great. And it was also a come-from-behind goal with a, an own goal by Pearson of Huddersfield. They, I, 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 don't, I, I wouldn't put any money on them getting promoted, though, or making the <laughs> playoffs. I, I think they're going to probably choke it at the end. But, uh, yeah, they are still doing well nonetheless. And surprisingly... Darby County, who everyone thought was going to be terrible this season, is doing fine. Like, they're 16th. They have six points, one win, three draws, two losses. Definitely not terrible. Uh, they have a negative two goal difference, though, so definitely not great either. Yeah. But They also haven't won, apparently, in an entire month. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's not fantastic for them. They won on the first day of the season, but uh, haven't won since. Yeah. But still, you know, not not as bad as everyone thought they would be doing, I think. Uh, the real surprises here, uh, Nottingham Forest and Reading doing terrible. Nottingham Forest are bottom of the league, one point from six matches. And I was talking to some Nottingham Forest fans a while back on Twitter, and they say that the problem is... Their coach plays too conservatively, and their owners aren't willing to put any money towards the team. And, you know, it shows. It really does. Because just two seasons ago, they were one point off of the promotion playoffs. And now, they're at the bottom of the championship. Nottingham Forest, historic club, two European champ, uh, two Champions League titles. They, they're going to want to get back up to the top, and they need to change something quick. Like, they even drew against Derby County. Uh, they got crushed in the cup by Wolves. You know, it, they they lost to Stoke. They lost to Blackburn. They lost to Cardiff. They've got to get, they've got to change something. And Reading, I thought they were going to do well. They had a decent season last time around, but not this time. Uh, four points, 22nd place, one win, one draw, four losses, negative six goal difference. Definitely not looking good for Reading. And I think uh, losing Eze and Olise over the last two seasons it's definitely starting to take its toll. Apparently that loan of Danny Drinkwater just wasn't enough for him. <laughs> uh, sorry about that, but thank you for taking him off our books. We appreciate your sacrifice, Redding. Uh, but that is the lower league lowdown. Uh, that's kind of the shape of the championship in its very early stages. You know, uh, There are 46 games in the championship. There's only been six played, so still plenty of season left to go. All right, Jack, thank you for that. Let's move on to international football with the U.S. men's national team corner. As everyone knows, we just wrapped up the September window, uh, completing three games out of uh, an eventual 14. Uh, We finished this September window in third place with five points, with a draw in El Salvador, home to Canada, and a win away in Honduras. The Honduras game had us go down early in the 27th minute to a Moya goal, and subsequently stormed back in the second half, scoring four unanswered goals from Robinson, that's Anthony, uh, Pepe, Aronson, and Legette. Overall, I'll look at this window from really bird's eye view, some major takeaways that we can see uh, from these three games. Let's start off with tactically, player personnel-wise. All in all, let's focus on Greg Berhalter for this first takeaway. I think that his lineup and personal choices were very confusing. From the first roster drop that had a lot of center backs, but very limited midfield cover, which did end up coming to bite us in the butt later, to bring Ewell into camp after injuries plagued the team, again, Jackson, Ewell, to not bring any other players for Dest, McKenney, or Reyna after they get injured, like, I don't know, Ferreira or Clark, uh, who could have worked if you want to stay domestic and not go for any re- European players, or waiting to sub in players until the last 10 minutes in the Canada game, guaranteeing they couldn't get a foothold into the game, or the weird experimental lineup of Sands in the midfield, Adam in the right wing back position with a three in the back system. His decision making was pretty suspect. But here's the thing, right? We've seen that his decision making can be good. It's just sometimes he gets too quirky and goofy and decides to, you know, try to overcomplicate things and try to outsmart the, the other manager by, you know, putting out something that he, that he thinks will work just because, you know, it's something that, you know, has kind of worked in the past that's not just our bread and butter. Like, when you look at his past uh, decisions, 
His substitutes were good in the second half of the Honduras game, and we've seen throughout the Gold Cup and Nations League, he knows how to play a simple but effective game. Like I think his sub-management in the Gold Cup was very, very good, putting on players and you know waiting for the player the other team to get tired and bring on the likes of Roldan and DK to really tire them out. That's really, really good. But he just overcomplicates his tactics instead of playing simple tactics and playing his players in the position that they can succeed in. You do not have to, you, you don't have a lot of time together in the international game. So when he tries to overcomplicate things, it's no doubt, no wonder that the players and him and the fans all get confused because if you're not playing simple, then you're playing stupid. <laughs> you didn't, so really the question is, why is he so obsessed with shoving square blocks in circular holes? We know that he can play simply, and I think that's going to be a big trend when we look forward to the October games. Can he just play a straight 4 through 3 or you know a 3-4-3, 3-5-2, whatever he wants to do because we played all those positions before, but can he play it simply and effectively and get the most out of his players without muddying the water too much with his tactics? Going a little bit more to the player personnel side, Pepe has stepped up and is on hot form. I don't think I'm longer married to the idea that the starting striker should be the most technical or stereotypically best player. I think right now I'd rather see the most on-form striker play, especially in a must-win game. I can't go as far as to say that Pepe is like the starting number nine, as a lot of people on Twitter are saying, but he gives us some tactical flexibility when paired with the other nine options like uh, PFOC, Zardes, Sargent, and I think his emergence is a gift. Again, right, in certain games, you're going to want to play one type of strike over the other. But in general, I do like Pepe as an option right now, given his form more than Sargent. And let's go into some players that didn't play too well. Uh, I have a hard time evaluating John Brooks. On one hand, he shouldn't be asked to run forward too much, while at the same time being the main defensive force. He can't do it all with his speed. But at the same time, his two goals that we conceded had a lot to do with either laziness or inability to run back. And that's not great signs. Other players that didn't have great games or great oh, windows, perhaps, were Dest and at times Aronson and Sargent. And a lot of this still falls back on Burhalter for playing them out of position and not playing them in a role that lets them succeed. Like John Brooks, we've seen him do really well with Wolfsburg. He's one of their better players, at least last season. And to see him not do well at the U.S. Men's National Team, that either tells us that he is just playing poorly because he doesn't really care, or the simple fact that he is not being put in a position to succeed by Burhalter. And regardless, it should be Burhalter's job to get the most out of him. And that's a huge indictment on Burhalter, a huge trend to look forward to in the October windows. Uh, just other players that stood out positively include Tyler Adams, who played every minute of the window, Pulisic, Turner, Aronson at times, Miles Robinson, and Anthony Robinson. Anthony Robinson, I think, has played the three best games. I don't know if he played uh, the El Salvador game, uh, but he played uh, at least the Canada game when he came on and uh, this past game against Honduras. Some of the best games he's ever played for the U.S. Men's National Team. He adds so much to the attack. Really, really full of life on that left flank. Really like him. In general, there are uh, some players I think will step up huge in the next window that we didn't see here for, for a variety of reasons. Look towards Eunice Musa, Hoppy, Zars, Williamson, and Richards to potentially be on that roster. So excited to see them all, especially given that uh, they're either coming back from injury or potentially uh, did move to a new club. So the last question I'll, I'll leave everyone with is, should we be happy with five points? 
to me, given all the, all the trials and tribulations, some players getting COVID, some players uh, doing some not great things, <laughs> and some players getting injured, I think five points is a fair result. But the performance within those games need to pick up, and you look towards Burhalter and some individual players to make that happen. Some structural issues for sure this window. The goal for every three-game window from now on is seven points. Five is, I think, the bare minimum. Anything under than that is a complete utter failure. Five points is like the is like a C. Seven points is the B. Nine points is the A. That is for it for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, corner. I don't know what I'll talk about next week. I'm sure I'll find something to complain about <laughs> with that, Jack. Let's move on to next week's predictions. Or actually, let's actually talk about last week's predictions. Yeah, that's usually, that's yeah. usually how time goes. Yeah. You talk about uh, <laughs> the week that happened just now and then move on to the next one. Jack, why don't you walk us towards the the scoring system for this wonderful game that we play? Yeah. Well, you get 10 points for getting the winner correct. You get 20 points for getting the exact scoreline correct and zero points for getting none of it correct. So... Starting off, why don't you start us off with the first game? Oh, yeah. Considering I just talked about it, it's yeah. Honduras versus the U.S. men's national team. Uh, Jack, me, and the listeners, that's right, you can participate in this. Uh, follow us on, at Final Third Show. Fill out the polls that we post on either Monday or Tuesday uh, and participate. But they, the three of us, we had all back to the U.S. men's national team. Uh, Jack said 2-1, to one, I said 1-0. to zero. And listeners, you know, it's a poll, so they just chose the U.S. men's national team to be the winner ended up being four to one so we didn't get the score line exactly correctly but we all got the result correct so that's 10 points for all of us jack leicester city versus manchester city an interesting matchup what did you see there yeah well leicester just weren't good enough in this game at home perhaps their defensive flaws and injuries are coming back to bite them now as city uh they they dominated them to be fair at home uh they had 60 percent possession they had 25 shots to 10 and an XG of 2.74. They were unlucky to come away with only one goal from this. Uh, and the goal that it was, a 62nd minute Bernardo Silva goal. Someone who City were thinking about offloading this past window, but he won the game for Manchester City. Uh, I guess a little bit more exciting than a 1-0 to zero for a 2-1 to one win for City. I'll take 10 points from that. AJ guessed a three to one. He was he had a lot. If we were going off of XG, we he would have gotten that. But uh, he'll take ten points for that. And the listeners chose Manchester City, so ten points for the listeners as well. All right, we're doing pretty well so far. Yeah, let's go to RB Leipzig versus Bayern Munich. We kind of uh, talked a little bit about this, but it was complete carnage. Bayern Munich's Lewandowski, Musiala, Sané, and Chupo Moting all combined for Bayern's four goals. Uh, Leimer scored the lone Leipzig goal. Really, this is just a win up and down the field for Bayern. Davies got an assist and was great. Hernandez and Upamecano had their best game together as a center back pairing. Really encouraging signs from them. And what else can be said about their attack? They're obviously always, always great. Really a comprehensive win, especially when you consider the fact that not only did they actually score four goals, but they had an XG of four goals. So it wasn't like they were just creating goals out of nothing. It was very, very deliberate what they were doing. Very, very good. RP Leipzig are digging themselves into a hole and find themselves in 12th. Bayern in second place. Jack said 2-0 uh, for Bayern Munich. I said 3-1. And listeners actually voted for a draw. So unfortunately, because it did end up being 4-1 for Bayern, Jack and I both get 10 points. Listeners, you get zero. Ha 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 ha. Jack, mm. take us to United versus United. Yep. 
Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. I was confused for a second. But yeah, Manchester United versus Newcastle United in the Premier League. This one finished 4-1. to one. We talked about it earlier in the mm-hmm. score lines. Uh, I said 3-1 to one for Manchester United. Very close. Uh, dang you, Jesse Lingard, oh, you know. Yeah. yeah. But uh, AJ guessed 3-0. to zero. Again, pretty close. 10 points for him. And the listeners, they got some points on this one for saying Manchester United would win this one. So 10 points all around there. All right. Well, why don't we go to across the pond to the NWSL, a big, big matchup between the Courage and the Thorns that just wrapped up a couple hours ago. Yeah. Jack, what would you see? Well, this was for first place, really, in, in the NWSL. And the Thorns were able to pull out a win at North Carolina, courtesy of a single Sophia Smith goal in the 57th minute. Portland not quite dominated the whole half, but they had the better of the possession, 42% or sorry, 52% possession. And 24 shots to 11. So you can't say that it was an undeserved win for the Thorns. It was deserved, and it leaves them at the top of the NWSL table. Very good for them. I guess 2-1 to one for the Courage because the Courage were able to beat them a little bit earlier. I'm not getting any points from that. AJ guessed 1-0 for the Courage. So yeah. he, he's going to take zero points. And listeners, they, guessed the, they, they went with the Thorns, and they get 10 points for that, which means... Overall this week, it's it's a three-way tie. Um, yeah. It's a three-way tie. Everyone got 40 points this yeah, week. It, so. it, it was every participant's best scoring week. Yeah. It just happened to be that we all also tied, <laughs> all, so yep. it's all for nothing. Yeah, but the overall standings, AJ, I believe you have those for points totals. Yes, I have. From the past four weeks from the season so far, I have 105 points. Jax has 95. And listeners, you're just closely behind with 85 uh, Jack is currently like leading the the wins table. Two wins. I have one win, and there's also a three way tie in there as well. Jack, how, why don't we get started with uh, some Champions League games? That's right. The Champions mm-hmm. League is back. Let's talk about Barcelona versus Bayern Munich. Jack, who is winning this uh, this matchup that we've seen many times before? Yeah. Well, it's happened seven times before, and Bayern have won. Five of those, Barcelona has won. Seven times in the past decade, right, I believe. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That, that's right. Uh, but no draws in the past decade between these two sides. Huh. And uh, I think we're going, we're in for an exciting match here. Barcelona have a good attack. Bayern have a good attack. But I think what sorts this one out for uh, for one of these teams comes down to the defense in midfield. Bayern's defense in midfield outclasses Barcelona's midfield a bit more of a competition because they uh, Barca have Frankie Dion. But, you know, no Messi, no Suarez, no party for, for uh, Barcelona in this one. I think Bayern are going to win this one. I don't think it will be 8-2 to two this time around. I, I think that, that Barcelona will fare a little bit better. I'm going to say, though, 3-1 to one for Bayern Munich. Okay. Ooh, some good uh, goals there, especially away from home. Yeah. I also agree. I, I do have a Bayern winning because Bayern are in top form, right? They just destroyed yeah. their nearest rival four to one. FC Barcelona are in disarray, especially when you consider that Braithwaite is going to be out for a couple months. Dembele, oh, no. Aguero, Fati are also injured or coming back from injury pretty soon. That's not great. Like you, you mentioned their attack. I'm not actually too confident in their attack right now. I did not know about the Braithwaite injury. To be yep. fair, yep. And their defense also not doing too hot in general. Always. I have it as a two to one win just because it is going to be in the new camp. So I'm not too confident that it's going to be a complete blowout, even though, well, 
we've seen crazier things happen. So that's going to be my prediction there. Let's go on to the other Champions League, the better Champions League, one might say. It is Philadelphia Union versus Club America in the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals. It's been a while since uh, these guys have played. It's been a month since the first leg. Philadelphia are down 2-0 to zero on aggregate. And the question is, why should I ever believe in the Union? Since they played America, they have one win, one draw, and two losses. Not a great sign, especially losing to New England at home. The good news is that they are well-rested. They have rested for the entirety of the international break since they haven't played uh, since the 3rd of September. So good rest there. Can recuperate, get some players back up to fitness. At the same time, I just do not believe in this Philadelphia Union side. I do not totally know Club America's current form, so I can't really say to that, but I just I just believe that they're going to be better because they play in Liga MX. I'm going with a 1-3 to three win for Club America. Jack, what about you? Yeah, well, Club America's form, to answer that for you, uh, they have their most recent five, four wins, one draw. Oh, they have man. not lost yet oh, in God. Liga MX in eight games. Oh, God. Yeah, I. but the thing is, I think they might go for a draw in this one because that's all they need to do. They right. they, 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 they could lose 1-0 and be fine. Exactly. They, like, they are in a good position. I think... I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw for this. Uh, mm, yeah, I'll go for a 1-1 draw. All right. I think I think that they're, that Club America is going to set up for a draw. It's just a matter of if they're going to score one. I think they can. Uh, and yeah, I, I'll, I'll back a draw in this situation just because they don't need to exert themselves. That's true. Especially when they are looking to potentially challenge in uh, the Apertura stage of Liga MX. Exactly. Let's go on to... The worst Champions League once again with Liverpool versus AC Milan, a very historical matchup. Jack, can Liverpool win this or will AC Milan and potentially Giroud, you know, I think he's out with COVID, pull oh. ahead? Well, that's the decider right there. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but Liverpool, they've played four games in the league. They have not lost yet. Milan have played three games in the league, have not lost yet either. Won, won all of them, actually. Yeah, so, they've, yeah, they've won all of them. And... You know, I, I think this is this is at Anfield. And, you know, the, these sides are both very good. But Liverpool's Liverpool's midfield may be a bit squishy right now uh, with with especially with the injury to Harvey Elliott. And uh, but at the same time, their defense is so good. They don't have any de- defensive injuries right now, so that's fantastic. They're, and, they're for their front line. And they got a crap ton of uh, center backs now, so they don't have to exactly, worry about that yeah. anymore. And their front line, fantastic. Mm-hmm. The deciding factor, though, it's, it's at Anfield. It, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to bet against Liverpool playing at Anfield with, to be fair, I, with respect to Milan. A, a much weaker side than them, or at least oh, a wow. we, a weaker oh, side. A we, okay, okay. Not much weaker. That's a bit unfair, but <laughs> a weaker side. So I'm gonna go for, mm, I'll say two to zero for Liverpool in right. this one. Two, so to, two zero. to zero. Interesting. Especially if there's no Giroud, there's no parties, so <laughs> no goals. Then I also agree that it's gonna be a Liverpool win. But AC Milan are looking pretty hot. Nine points in a possible nine. And I got to highlight some players. Laton, Florenzi, Rebic, Kessi, Tonali, all playing a positive role in their attack recently. Uh, but like you mentioned, that back line, I just look at it and I get scared. Because imagine <laughs> playing against Robertson and Trent, some of the best fullbacks in not just the Premier League, but in Europe, in yeah. the world. And uh, Van Dyke and Matip, a very good center back pairing. I think it's going to be a very conservative one because I don't know how well 
uh, Mane and Salah can really translate their success to a very good side against AC Milan, but that defense is going to stand out. I'm going with a one to nil win for Liverpool at Anfield. I think it's going to be good. Uh, I'll take this next one. It's going to be West Ham United versus Manchester United. A big matchup at the top of the table, not at the very top, but near there in the Premier League. Uh, for those of you who know, I am a West Ham fan, and we did happen to lose a, a very good player. Maybe some might say the August player of the month, Mikel Antonio, to a, a, a double yellow card resulting in a red card. That's tough. Uh, and with that, no Antonio, no party. I'm going with a Manchester United win, especially when they're on such hot form with Ronaldo coming in with all these different like uh, options they have in the defense and in the attack. West Ham, we're not as you know depth depthful as them. I I suppose like who's gonna fill in for Antonio? Yarmolenko, Vlasic as a as a, a false nine, Bowen as a false nine. Not great options. And then you have a hole in the midfield that it's gonna want some big like domino effect. It's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough. But my my hopes is that Declan Rice can boss boss them so hard that eventually Manchester United just don't want him anymore and he gets to stay in West Ham just because of how much he destroyed <laughs> Manchester United. But I don't think it's happening. I think just player personnel, pound for pound, Manchester's got this. I think it's gonna be three to nil for Manchester United. Jeez, that, okay. I, 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 people know I'm an anti-homer, and I, I look at this result. I'm like, we play Dynamo Zagreb on Thursday, away there, so we're gonna need to put all of our uh, coins in that uh, slot machine, one might say. And we're just gonna, I don't know, kind of do whatever with this game. Hopefully, we're probably gonna lose anyways. Might as well, might as well put on the youth. I don't know. I'm just speaking. Jack, do you believe in West Ham a little bit more than me? I actually do. I, I, I know, like, there's no Antonio, yeah. Uh, but the defense that West Ham has isn't too bad. I mean, like, they... Okay, they only have one shutout in the past, in the four that's games. That's what I'm saying, that's what I'm saying. But at the same time, Fabianski can can be good when he when he's on form. Yeah. Uh, Zuma in the, in the back oh, line. Yeah, that, I, I forgot about that. Zuma yeah. is probably might be starting. Exactly. Crestwell and Sufal are decent fullbacks. You know, Suchek and Rice, good center mid pairing. Uh, ben Rama at the left, potentially Bowen at the right. And then you come <laughs> to the big issue, which is, again, like you said, Antonio being out. There's not a big replacement for him. So while I don't think they're going to score, I don't think that they're going to be beaten three goals to zero. Okay. I'm going to go thank two you. to zero instead. All right. That's so, only slightly better, but thank you. It's slightly better. It, it's it's better for the goal difference. So that's, there, there you go. A little, yeah. a little bit more. But it will be interesting for this game anyway because it's a prelude to when they get to play United three days later in the yes. Carabao Cup. Okay. In that matchup, to actually play the youth because I <laughs> in most years, I'm, I'm only like, you know, you know, perpe- not professionally, just uh, barely into the EFL Cup. This year, throw it away. Practically, <laughs> I'm like, uh, put me in, put me in in the goal, and let's just let, let's just get it over with. <laughs> let's get this last one over because it's our last game. You know, I'm sure you'd love to talk oh, at length about Lord. Tottenham Hotspur versus Chelsea, of a pretty big matchup early in the season. Jack, as the Chelsea fan, you're obviously gonna have Spurs win. Go ahead, talk about it. Well. Uh, Spurs got their first loss of the season this past weekend against Crystal Palace. Yeah. Uh, they got beaten 3-0 to zero by Crystal yeah. Palace. 
Uh, Chelsea beat Crystal Palace three to zero on the opening day of the season without Lukaku as well. May I add? But. And West Ham drew two to two, I yep. believe. So, so yeah. there's a, there's a hierarchy here. There's yeah, a hierarchy, and, of teams. And, and Tottenham are on the bottom. Yep, exactly. Uh, where they belong, one might say. Uh, but they are playing at home, Tottenham are. So that that could help them out. But uh, they're also going to be without Yafit Tanganga, who has been filling in all right for them at center back. And I think Dyer's also injured. I believe he came off early. I believe you are right with that. There are a lot of reasons uh, to not go for for Tottenham. Christian Romero is out. Davinson Sanchez is out. Eric Dyer is out. Giovanni Lo Celso is out. Hyunmin Son is out. Sessegnon is out. Bergevin is out. Tanganga suspended. Chelsea are missing Pulisic, yeah. Conte, pretty big loss, but that's it. And Kane, not been on great form this season for Spurs. Zero goals in three games. Not great. Lukaku, three goals in three games. Uh, pretty good form. And Chelsea, they just look unbeatable right now. Like, even going down to 10 against Liverpool, couldn't get, couldn't get beaten. Their defense is strong, stronger than Spurs. And, you know, I, I think I'm going to back Chelsea to win this one. I, I mean, I always back my teams to win. You know that. <laughs> this was an inevitable conclusion, but I'm going to go two to zero for Chelsea. All right, one. the clean sheets. Yeah, if if Son like this set, like a uh, footmob says, is actually injured, I I, I think I think it it might as well be over for them. And plus, Mendy's better than Loris. I said it. There we go. All right, all right. Well, I am also backing Chelsea. Unfortunately, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to add anything other than I think. I think Tottenham scores some weird goal, and it's going to be a one to three victory for Chelsea. I'll take it. I'll Maybe take it's an it. own goal, and you guys actually scored four goals, and that <laughs> that that, hap- that happens. Yeah, that, that actually ha- did happen a few uh, in twenty twenty. Uh, we scored two, and uh, then Rudiger scored an own goal, a wild one. <laughs> yeah. He did a back heel own goal. It was pretty bad. <laughs> well, Jack, that is uh, it for our predictions for next week we only have one disagreement listeners if you want to disagree with us or agree with us hit us up on twitter at final third show and fill out our poll that's going to be up on either monday or tuesday to to decide who you think are going to win these five games but jack i already mentioned it where can people find us on social media on twitter at final third show check out all of the hot takes that aj is going to drop when west ham somehow beat manchester united Ooh, if that happens i'm going to break twitter uh, that's gonna be crazy yeah so you're you're gonna want to see that obviously you don't want to miss out on that opportunity to see that or uh watch me go crazy as lukaku scores a hat trick against uh, against tottenham that doesn't match with my prediction maybe a maybe a hat trick against zenith who knows? Yeah. He'll score a hat trick eventually. That's that's what I do now. Uh, but check out Twitter for all those kinds of things. Uh, and, of course, for the polls to participate in next week's prediction game. Yeah. And also follow us on whatever podcast platforming uh, thing, place so that you check us out on podcast or whatever people are calling it these days. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you want a free shout out from us. We read out any five-star reviews. Tell your friend about the show. Tell your dad about the show. I'm sure he would love to hear about the biennial World Cup. Unless he supports it, then we don't want him. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We'll take any listener. Uh, We'll see you guys this Thursday for a deep dive episode that we have no idea what the topic's going to be out. We'll figure it out. We'll see you guys same time, same place next Monday for our news and predictions episode. See ya. Bye for now.